Gracious God, we pray for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us. Indeed, we already feel your Spirit moving here in our midst. So that we might not only hear your word, but embody it and incarnate it together. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. One of my earliest memories of communion goes back to the days when my family lived in Jerusalem. And we were part of a Lutheran congregation in the old city of Jerusalem. And I was uh, an usher at that time, just 10 years old, but I served as an usher. And uh, my friend and I often had the uh, special joy of being sent out by the pastor to go get the bread for communion from a nearby baker. And so my friend uh, Mark and I would run off to the bakery, and uh, it was such a joy to go there because, you know, this is the Middle East, so these were pita bread. And uh, those of you who have been in the Middle East in a bakery know that when pita bread comes out of the oven, they're inflated like blowfish. And it's quite a sight. Later on, we'd uh, take the bread into the sanctuary and then process forward uh, to the table, carrying the wine and this still warm bread in our hands. Now, this was uh, back in the 19, early 1970s. And uh, our church drew a steady stream of tie-dyed, travelers, and God-seekers. And they'd come in, some of them looking tired and weary, and sit in our benches. And even though I was only 10 years old at the time, I remember during communion, I'd always stand in the back and carefully watch each of our guests, hoping, just hoping that they would find it in them to go forward, to come to the table. Even though I was only 10, I somehow sensed that it is here that we receive from Christ what we need most. It is here at this table that we meet him. He is our bread of life, and whoever comes to him will never be hungry. It's been said that how we practice communion together says more about what we believe about grace, more about what we believe about the church and the mission of the church than any other congregational practice that we do together. So I'd like to spend just a few moments with you today reflecting on the meaning of this practice for us here at East Chestnut Mennonite Church. First of all, when we walked in the door today, we saw the table, the bread and the cup prepared for us. Christ has taken the initiative and has given us this profound gift of this meal, inviting all of us to come relive his saving story, to remember his covenant of peace with us, 
and to re-experience yet again. We always need that yet again. Re-experience His grace and forgiveness. But the thing is, we can't just sit there. We must stand up and rise and come forward and receive the bread of life. And so that's what we do. We come forward with open hands and when we receive the bread and the cup, we say, Amen. Now the interesting thing is, notice later on as people stream forward, we come both alone and together to the table. You see, we must each choose to follow Jesus individually. No one else can make that decision for us. But yet, discipleship is only possible together in community. This morning you will see our young people helping out at the table, coming forward for a blessing. As they sense that they belong to this community, we hope and pray that they will begin to believe and move to, toward their own day of baptism themselves. At this table, Paul tells us today in 1 Corinthians 11.29, we discern the body. We discern the body. We discern Christ and see that he is intimately present here with us in the breaking of the bread. He awakens us from our sad dream of separation and brings us into a deep communion with himself and each other. Now, discerning the body also means seeing that Christ is not only with us, but in each of us, and that together we are the living body of Christ for the world. It's a little hard when we hear that passage in 1 Corinthians to figure out what exactly is going on. But commentators tell us that this is what is happening. The poor members are arriving at the gathering of the Corinthian church only to find that the wealthier members have already gotten a head start on the Lord's Supper and some of them have even gotten drunk. Verse 22 says that when the poor folks arrive at church, there's nothing left. There's nothing left and they are humiliated. What we need to know is that this kind of segregated eating, this kind of mealtime apartheid, is entirely acceptable in Corinth. They are just doing as the Corinthians do. The wealthy eat with the wealthy, and the poor eat the scraps with the poor. But Paul is saying in here, not in the body of Christ. Not in the body of Christ. 
When this happens, the body of Christ is torn apart. It's being dismembered. And the Lord's Supper is not allowed to do what it's supposed to do, which is to show everyone, show the whole wide world that Christ has brought down every dividing wall of race, of gender, of wealth and class, and transformed us into a new living and breathing body together. I experienced this a few years ago when our family was visiting a church in Wisconsin. It wasn't Ron Adams' church, but it was in Madison. And uh, they had a beautiful practice. It was a big church, and they had a central table. Worship was almost completely in the round. And when we came forward for communion, 200 of us gathered around the communion to share the Lord's Supper together. And it's when we all got together that disaster struck. You see, that morning, they had many, many more guests than they were ever expecting. And my family was part of this problem. And you could see it happening as the pastors and the lay leaders distributed the bread. All of a sudden, they ran out. And many of us stood there empty-handed, myself included. And maybe for the first time in my life, I experienced what it's like to have nothing when other people have everything. And it was at that moment that a miracle occurred. Everybody, not a word from the pastor, everybody just spontaneously turned when they realized what had happened, broke part of their bread, and shared it with their neighbor. Now, do you know what was needed for that miracle to happen? For everybody first to discern the body. And not to eat right away because they had received, but only to eat when they knew that everybody had received. And I suddenly realized that when bread is broken and shared, there will always be enough. And we will all come to a deeper awareness of being the living body of Christ together. So, dear friends, here we are on World Communion Sunday, being challenged not only to discern the body of Christ here at East Chestnut, but also to discern the body of Christ in our city. Amen? And to discern the body of Christ around the world. And do you remember that church, that dear church in Corinth? 
where some are feasting and getting drunk and others are going hungry? Doesn't that describe our world? Some are feasting. Others are hungry and humiliated. So this morning, let us let this meal do what it's supposed to do. Remind us that Christ has brought down every dividing wall and has remembered us into a global body of believers from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages as we heard so gloriously today in Revelation 7. May the sharing of this table together inspire us to share our tables in our lives as we will be doing downstairs tomorrow with our community neighbors And may it also inspire us to freely share our resources with our sisters and brothers around the world. Amen. I invite Peter and Evie to come forward. So here we are at the Lord's table. And we're actually joining something that began long before any of us ever woke up. You see, people started streaming to the Lord's table first in the islands of the Pacific. And then in Australia with Valentina. And then in Asia. And then as the globe turned, it began in Africa, in Europe, here in the Americas. And now people are streaming to our Lord's table across the city of Lancaster. All of us coming to meet Christ. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you and we bless you that through your Son we have come to know you by grace. We thank you that through his life and his death and his saving resurrection, you have taken away everything that separates us from you. Everything. And have brought us into a reconciled relationship renewed day by day and moment by moment by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that through this meal you have provided us a tangible way for us to commune with you and each other. So God, now we ask you to send down your Holy Spirit upon us 
and these gifts of bread and vine so that as we share them together, we might meet Christ in each other, in ourselves, and together. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. On the night that He was betrayed, our Lord took a loaf of bread. And after He had given thanks, He said to His disciples, This is My body broken for you. Do this to remember Me. That night He took the cup. And he said to his disciples, this cup is the new covenant relationship sealed in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from this cup, do this to remember me. Invite us now to stand, if you are able, to hold hands and to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Let's hold hands across the aisle. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you. We invite you to come forward this morning down the middle aisle and to go to one of our two stations and then to return by the outside aisle. There's a table at the back serving communion for those with uh, food allergies. You're welcome to go back there as well. And children and youth, we invite you to come forward to receive a grape and a blessing because you too are already beginning to follow Jesus and to seek first his kingdom. Sisters and brothers, our Savior invites all those who have placed their trust in him all those who yearn for a deeper communion with him to come to the table that he has prepared. So come you who have much faith and you who have little. Come you who have been here often and you who have not. Come you who have tried to follow Jesus and come especially if you have failed. Come share the meal that our Lord has prepared.
Did you know that the early Anabaptists, like Conrad Grable, Pilgrim, Pilgrim Marpeck, and Balthazar Hubmeier, all believed that a miraculous transformation really does occur in the Lord's Supper? They believed in transubstantiation, not of the bread and the cup, but of the people. As we commune with Christ and each other, our Lord transforms us into the living body of Christ that continues His mission of bringing His peace and shalom to all of creation. And here today, we have experienced a deep communion with Christ, have we not? A union so deep that His mind becomes our mind. His will becomes our will. His love becomes our love. To the point that we can dare to say with Paul as he does in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. What communion. But friends, we've gathered here this morning not only to discern the body of Christ, but also to become more fully the body of Christ together. And that's going to take a whole lot of transformation, is it not? Amen? (laughs) A lot of training. Because our Lord Jesus at His Last Supper told His disciples, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. And we can all say, oh, I can love people. But then He says, He gives us a definitive clarification. He says, no, no, no. Love as I have loved you. That's a different kind of love. And then He demonstrates His love. by humbly taking a towel, getting down on his knees, and washing his disciples' feet. So today, that's what we're going to do. With the help of our bodies, we want to learn and to train more fully how to love each other like Jesus. You know, down in uh, our church library and I invite you to take a look at it later on, there's a batik print of Jesus washing Peter's feet. Have you ever noticed it? Well, the folks at our community meal often do. And I I often have the role of standing right there at the stairs, and people will ask me, who is that guy down on his knees? What's he doing? And their questions remind us of this ritual's continued power to attract and to amaze. This past March, Pope Francis 
riveted our whole world by washing the feet of 12 inmates, including two women, in a juvenile detention center in Rome. And that picture of the Pope washing their feet, he even kissed their feet. I'll leave that to you whether you want to do that this morning. (laughs) But the picture of Pope Francis kissing these inmates' feet, oh, that said more to the world than a whole year, maybe a whole decade of papal, papal statements. You know, foot washing probably won't ever be anything that any of us feel comfortable with. Maybe we're not supposed to. But let us trust as we do it now that we will be drawn into a deeper communion with Jesus, with each other, and more fully become together who we really are, the living body of Christ together. As we go now into foot washing, let me welcome our children and youth to participate fully with us if you wish to. Uh, Women and girls, we invite you to go downstairs. Men and boys to remain up here. We ask you simply to gather around the basins to wash the person's feet next to you. Have them wash your feet and then to share a sign of Christ's peace. Please then return in silence to your seat here in the sanctuary. Let us go now in peace.